And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Son Edom, talk about the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And on the verge of Easter for this podcast, there was an article that Dan wrote that uh, is headlined, Jesus Christ Created Three Resurrection Portals. And so it's uh, an interesting and different perspective and take than what you might normally think of on Easter. A lot of times we think of the the um, crucifixion on Good Friday, then the resurrection, and then it goes from there. But uh, this is a unique three-perspective, a three-pronged perspective on the resurrection. And uh, Dan, when you talk about resurrection and portals, um, people might think portals are different, you know, aspects of like doors and going through things and stuff like that. So uh, the first thing I would ask you as we start the conversation is when you mentioned portals, what exactly are you talking about? Yeah, that's a good question, Son. You know, a, a portal is a uh, like a gateway or a door or an entrance into something. And as I thought about the resurrection, uh, I, I thought about the fact that you, you've got one portal right there, obviously, there with the entrance to the tomb. So... I refer to that as the first resurrection portal that Jesus created, um, the entrance to the tomb from which Jesus, of course, exited after he rose from the dead. And it was that entrance where, you know, the women, for example, who um, arrived there at the tomb, they, they, they went in through that portal that, uh, you know, the stone had been rolled away, you know, Scripture tells us, and they went in through that portal, and they did not find Jesus in there because obviously he had risen from the dead. And then as others came along, uh, you know, other disciples, they, they entered through that portal. So the first portal, the first entrance that Jesus created, the first resurrection portal, as I call it, is that entrance to the tomb. But, but then the second portal I address is on the inside of man. So the, the first portal is rooted in history. Uh, it's a historical event, Jesus' resurrection. And now the second portal is rooted on the inside of man's soul because there is essentially a, a gateway, a door, uh, through which the Lord enters into a person's soul when they receive Christ as Savior. You know, in Revelation, Jesus said, here am I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And, uh, you know, many people have seen that famous painting of the Lord. They're standing at a door um, and knocking. It's a classical uh, painting. It's been around for decades. And, of course, it is based on that passage in Revelation 3, verse 20. But if you, if you think about it, uh, Scripture is very clear that when a person becomes a Christian, the Lord comes to live on the inside of the believer. Uh, and, and so Scripture says for us as believers that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Apostle Paul made it very clear. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And there are various verses that, that, that talk about Christ. Um, living inside the believer. You know, for example, when the Bible says, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So a person, for example, son, who is just living for sin rather than for Jesus, well, obviously that's not a, a converted person. Now, Jesus isn't living in their heart because when Jesus is living in your heart, you're still a sinner, of course. But you're not living for sin. At least that's not the dominant focus of your life. Doesn't mean you never fall into sin. Doesn't mean you're perfect by any stretch. But that's not the orientation of your focus to live for sin. Likewise, if a person is relying upon uh, his or her works to get into heaven, then then that's not something that a a Christian is doing because we can't be saved by our works. So, so in order to test yourself, what I would encourage a person to do is to say, well, you know, what are you relying on to get into heaven? And if that person is relying upon their works, well, then they don't pass the test. Uh, and, and who are you living for? Uh, and if that person is living for sin, making that the orientation, the focus, the priority of their life, then they don't pass the test. Uh, on the other hand, the believer is someone who is relying upon the cross for salvation, relying upon what Jesus did, not what upon, not, not upon what I do. And also the believer um, wants to live for Christ, wants to do what God wants, although, like I say, we often fall short. So the second portal is rooted inside man's soul. The first is rooted in history, the empty tomb, not the portal. The second is within the soul of man, because, you know, God has to enter somehow into a person. Um, and, and so the Bible uses this image of a door. That's what Jesus talked about. So, um, so this is another portal that Jesus has, has created because he's the creator of all things, visible and invisible, it, it says in Colossians. So, so those are the first two port resurrection portals. And then the third resurrection portal refers to the gates of heaven through which a believer enters at the, at the time of their death on earth. You know, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And, and so when, when the believer dies, um, their soul immediately then goes to be with the Lord uh, in heaven, and, and so it, it, it needs to be brought through that portal, through the gates of heaven, meaning you have to get into heaven somehow. And the Bible talks about um, these, these gates that, that uh, are there that are part of heaven. So, so now that portal is rooted in eternity. It's rooted in heaven. The first is rooted in history. The second is rooted inside man's soul. The third is rooted in heaven. Um, I had a... Uh, a text today from someone in our church who just finished reading the book that I referred to on Sunday by John Burke called Imagine Heaven. It's a New York Times bestseller, came out you know, a few years back, and it goes into great detail about 100 near-death experiences that people had, NDEs, and it's quite fascinating uh, to read what people have experienced, people who maybe have been on the operating table and they, their, their, their soul, as it were, has started to come out of their body. They've started to look down on, on their body on the operating table. Some people have talked about like even like going up like and they've seen things on top of the hospital roof. Um, but, then, but then something happens where it's not their time and their soul then comes back into their body 
So it's a, it's a near-death experience. They almost died. You know, there was that uh, book by the Baptist pastor a number of years ago, 90 Minutes in Heaven, Don Piper, who was in an automobile accident, and he describes the experience he had for 90 minutes. They had a tarp over his body there on the, on the highway where he had this car accident and everything, and then he came back. But, you know, I would never, I would never tell someone just to believe, you know, any near-death experience or ever to put as much stock into those things as we do into the Word of God, because those are subjective experiences. But, but I do think that, like this book, Imagine Heaven, I think it's very well done. I think it is very interesting um, to read about people, many of whom, their son, they, they, they talk about seeing Jesus and they saw different things, um, you know, when, they're, uh, when, they're, when their soul seem to be leaving their body. Again, I think we have to be careful when we're talking about, you know, experiences like that. Uh, we should never assume that just because somebody claims to have had that, that we know for a fact that it happened. Um, we, we, we can't say that. Now, we can say with the Apostle Paul that he had an experience where the Bible says he was caught up to the third heaven and he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell, which I kind of find interesting why the Apostle Paul was not permitted to talk about those things. And you got a lot of people today talking about their um, experiences. So I'm not quite sure what to make of that unless the Lord is maybe allowing people to talk about some of those experiences today that they're having, maybe they're seeing heaven or, you know, many of them have talked about, you know, seeing Jesus, uh, but not all of them, not all of them uh, have, have talked about, you know, going to heaven. But, but again, I would simply say on something like that, that's just more anecdotal material that I think is very interesting. If it can get a person thinking about the fact that we do have an immortal soul, you know, so many people today don't even think that way, son. They don't think about the fact that that there is consciousness beyond the grave. Um, I, I was just listening to, or uh, yeah, I guess I was listening to a, a short little clip on uh, YouTube where Jordan Peterson, who's the famous uh, clinical psychologist from Canada, who's become known all over the world for a lot of his talks and everything, very, very intelligent man. But he was asked a question at the University of Cambridge back in November of last year. And uh, a woman asked him the question. She just went straight to the point. She said, uh, do you believe in consciousness after death? And I thought, wow, what a, what a great question. And he essentially said, you know, um, he really doesn't know the answer to that. Uh, he, he said that, um, you know, that's just not his area to really address. And, and the thing I thought about with that, Son, is that none of us, apart from special revelation by God through his word, unless God gives us sanctified reason, that is spirit-generated knowledge about heaven, which comes through the word. You know, you begin by believing it, but then God starts to, you know, increase your faith to the point where you actually know it. Um, all of us, if we were honest, unless God had shown it to us in the word, um, we would we would have to give the same answer that Jordan Peterson did, which is, you know, I I really don't know whether there's consciousness beyond the grave, but I can say, son, and I know you know the same thing. I can say that I know for a fact that there is consciousness beyond death, because God has revealed it to me and to millions of other believers around the world through His Word. Um, you know, the Apostle John in First John five. 13 said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, notice in that one verse, it talks first about belief, first about faith, and then from that faith uh, can come this this knowledge, or, or what you and I call this sanctified reason, this higher level of knowledge, which man is not capable of generating. And that's why Jordan Peterson gave the answer that he did. As intelligent as he is, and, and he would be very close to the top of, you know, certainly among psychologists. I mean, perhaps the most intelligent psychologist in the world, or one of them anyway. But, but man, even when he gets to the top of that rung in intelligence, okay, you still haven't crossed over into the realm of sanctified reason until God reveals to you the truth through the word of God. So Paul, for example, Saul of Tarsus had the gospel revealed to him in his Damascus Road experience. And that's how all of a sudden he knew, you know, he'd been persecuting Jesus. He'd been hauling Christians off to prison. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was very self-righteous. He was very legalistic in his uh, practice of Judaism. He was very conscientious, very zealous, but he didn't know God. He didn't know Christ. He, he, he was rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. So he had to be raised up to a higher level. And Paul even would, would go on to write then how the gospel, um, you know, he didn't receive this message from any man, he said, but it was revealed to him directly by Jesus Christ. And that's what God does today through the word of God. He reveals the truth to us. And, and that's on a higher level than, like I mentioned, this book, Imagine Heaven, and these near-death experiences. Those, those are not on par with Scripture at all. No one should take that as, as being uh, absolute truth. That's, those are merely, you know, that, that's anecdotal evidence, if you will, but, but that's not on par with Scripture. And so my faith for heaven is not based on, you can have a, a thousand near-death experiences. And people say, well, I saw Jesus. Well, that's not why I believe in heaven or why I believe in Jesus. I believe in it because God's word says these things are real and true. And, and, and that's the confidence, Son, that God will give to anyone who will accept what his word says about, about eternal life, about heaven, uh, about the things of God. You know, Dan, one of the things that always seems to kind of come up with the conversation of the resurrection and with, you know, Jesus outside the Bible. You know, obviously, if you're reading the Bible and you believe the Bible and you believe the Bible to be true, you're going to take it for what it says. But a lot of times people will question the authenticity, so to speak, of what the Bible says. For example, they might say that, you know, how did, um, you know, the story get told down from generation to generation until the Bible was written. You know, how are these stories told? And, you know, if you know the game telephone, you know, you start with maybe you have 15 people and you tell the first person something. By the time it gets to the 15th person, it's kind of changed or the story has changed, you know, and you hear that rumor mill or the gossip mill and, and stories tend to change. And so one of the things that people will ask is how do we know that the story of the resurrection is true? You know, you talk about the portals and you start with the first portal. You start with the resurrection from the tomb. And so the tomb with the stone rolled back, Jesus isn't there. Everyone goes in to look. They don't see Jesus, the angel. He is not here. He's risen as he said. And so there's all these things going on with all these interchangeable parts, Uh, people showing up first and then others coming later. And so how did they get the story right? And so uh, Chuck Colson, people may know who he, uh, he was, but um, 
he had an interesting quote. He goes, I know the resurrection is a fact. And I guess I should say Chuck Colson was the you know, um, break point that people might have heard um, on radio stations or other places out there. He was kind of significant behind Breakpoint, which I think now John Stone Street is uh, is running. But anyways. Um, uh, if I may real quick, just, I'll just also throw in before you read that, just in case anybody doesn't know uh, that, you know, uh, Chuck Colson um, was in the Nixon administration and he got caught up in the Watergate scandal. And so he was one of those who um, was guilty of criminal activity um, there as a result of, of the lies that President Nixon told. So that, but then, like you say, then he, once he came to know the Lord, then um, God used him in incredible ways. And he started prison fellowship, uh, which has just reached, you know, tens of thousands of prisoners around the world. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's just a little bit of that backstory of, of, of Chuck Colson. Yeah. And the other thing about Chuck Colson's prison ministry, the recidivism rate is the best amongst all prison reforms at one point uh, i read sometime that you know the people that kind of go through his prison reform uh whatever it's you know methodology whatever you want to call it his you know program yes you know yes. Are, are have better success outside of prison and don't return compared to other programs that people have gone through so it's uh, very instrumental yes. in a lot yes. of areas of life but uh, right. but like you said, so here's here's a guy you know that some might think has you know like you know Saul of Tarsus, even though he's not really killing Christians, you know he still has a sketchy a sketchy past, right? Chuck Colson here. So yes. So yes. in his course of you know finding God, like a lot of people, you have to have evidence, you have to have proof, you know. And so he writes, you know, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. That's the the Watergate uh, scandal that you mentioned. Because yes. 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, and never once did they deny it. Everyone was beaten for it, was tortured, was stoned, and put in prison for proclaiming you know, Jesus' resurrection. Uh, and he goes on to say that they would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate, which was the scandal that he was involved with, embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years that's absolutely impossible unless it was true and so you know that's just further evidence when you talk about Mm -hmm. you know the portal being true because again each of the portals are foundational if you don't believe the, the the tomb portal yes then you can't believe the others you have to start with the foundation right. like jesus has to, exactly. ra- to raise from the dead otherwise the rest of it just falls yes. apart so exactly. you start there and so okay so i would take that okay on face value as that's that's pretty solid you know concrete sanctified reason that yes. you've got okay yeah 12 guys tortured um you know executed imprisoned all this bad stuff and they're not going to do it for a lie. They're not going to do it for, you know, they, they cave. Right. You know, they, they'd rat each other out for, you know, immunity so they don't get beaten or whatever. You know, kind of like what the yeah. prison system does today when people testify. You know, they make deals and they grant clemency or reduce sentences or whatever. They rat everybody out. And here you yeah. had, you know, 12 people for 40 years keeping this story straight. No, mm-hmm. uh, you know, discrepancies. And then in mm-hmm. his case with Watergate, you had, you know, powerful men that couldn't keep a lie. So the foundational portal of the resurrection being the tomb and what we yes. read and when you add that sentence from chuck colson you know a guy that was mm-hmm. uh involved in a lot of different stuff 
you start to realize that, okay, that portal of the tomb has validity yeah. outside of the Bible. Because like I said, play, yes. a game of, play a game of telephone and you'll find a lot of different things being said that didn't start yes. as the truth. And so now if you believe that the first resurrection portal is a historical fact and you believe that that is true, then that could give you to the, the second one, which is then, okay, I need to make a decision. Am I going yeah. to allow, you know, Jesus gives us the choice, even though he's standing at the door of the second portal and knocking, saying, let me in, I want to come in. We yeah. have to open the door. He's not going to force his way in. And so right. now if we make that choice and let him in, now the second portal, which then automatically leads to the third portal. So it's like, mm-hmm. so it's like if you get to portal one, like honestly believe mm-hmm. portal one, the resurrection happened and Jesus rose again. Yeah. And yes. you get to portal two with a genuine acceptance of Jesus as your savior. Right. Portal three then automatically opens for you. That's right. Exactly. And so then it becomes, yeah, yeah. so it becomes foundational, sequential, but then also that last step into heaven is going to be there for you. You don't have to do anything for it, which goes back to the works and all the things that we've talked about, that you don't need all that. If you truly believe on your heart that Jesus died and rose again, and you believe and accept him as your Savior, then that third portal is going to be there for you, and you get the trifecta. Oh, that's a great way of explaining it, Sean. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that's what's going on. And, And I love what you said about, you know, Chuck, Colson's um, the point he was making because because Chuck Colson recognized that there is empirical evidence that even if you don't yet believe the Bible, you're not sure what you believe about the Bible, or you're not sure you want to just accept the resurrection of Christ just because the Bible says it happened and the and the gospel writers say that it happened. Okay, well then look at the empirical evidence. Try to find any time in history where a group of people have died for a lie while knowing it's a lie. I mean, you, you have people like, for example, uh, in, the, in the Jim Jones cult, um, you know, there with, um, you know, what happened uh, like in Waco or in, in Guyana, um, you know, different people who have died for a lie or even take 9-11, the terrorists, okay, um, when they flew into the Twin Towers. You've had a lot of people over the centuries who've died for a lie, or how about all the, you know, atheistic, communistic dictators? Um, So, uh, you know, how about Adolf Hitler? I mean, you've had people who died for a lie, but they didn't die for a lie knowing it was a lie. They died for a lie thinking it was true. And, And in the case of the apostles, in the case of Christ's disciples, in the case of those who claim that they saw him after the resurrection. And um, hundreds of people, the Bible tells us, saw him. But, but just take the example Chuck Colson gave with like the, the, the inner circle, you know, the 12, okay? Um, I mean, it, it, it takes more faith to reject the resurrection than it does to believe it if you just think through it. And this is even, Son, even before a person really even needs to connect with sanctified reason, meaning something that only the Holy Spirit can give you. For example, only the Holy Spirit can can work the gift of faith in your heart through the gospel where you receive Christ as Savior. Only the Holy Spirit 
can give you that assurance of salvation in heaven and, and actually, you know, bring you then to heaven, as you mentioned, when you die. But on that very first portal, okay, even before a person has what I would really call that, that sanctified reason, that special revelation from God, if you just look at the natural revelation of what happened and the natural evidence of what happened, this is where I say it takes more faith to reject the resurrection because there's no way to explain why this inner circle of disciples would have gone out and, and proclaimed a lie, which they would have known it was a lie. They would have known that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but we need to save face or whatever, which doesn't make any sense because they were totally dejected when he was crucified. They weren't expecting that. They were hiding. The Bible says, in fear, hey, are we going to be next? Um, so there was no way they weren't even close to, um, you know, going out and, and making up some story. But even if they had, as Chuck Colson points out, you'd have to believe that they would be willing to stick to that story, knowing it was a lie, for, for 40 years and suffer the, the, the torture and, and, and those who were, you know, uh, put to death for their faith. So it really does take more faith. If you just look at the natural revelation of, of, of how Christianity came about, um, it takes more faith to reject the, the, the resurrection than to accept it. And, and there are more and more people in, in recent years, on who are coming to that conclusion that, that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, is the, the best attested fact of history um, that there's ever been. But, but you have to approach it with an open mind. You have to be willing to look at the evidence. And, 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 and I know for, for an unbeliever then, son, that, that brings a person then up to a point where they say, okay, let's say I do believe in that. Um, now what? And as you pointed out, well, um, in order to get through door number two, which is really the Lord, he's going to come through that door. He came out of door number one. Um, you know, he came out of the empty tomb. Um, he'll enter door number two. Um, he'll, he'll come into your heart through adoring your soul. If you will receive him, um, and you just, just try saying this to the Lord, wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood. I invite you just to say that today, my friend, if you're listening, just say, just say, wash me, Jesus, with your precious blood and say it in faith and turn to him with your life. And say it like it's your only hope of, of being rescued from sin and death and hell and being given the free gift of heaven, if you believe that. And, and, and really it's a question of if you will believe that. Will you believe that? Because you could dig in your heels and say, I won't believe it. I won't receive him. And there are those in the Bible who did not combine faith with the message that they heard. But what will you do? Will you combine faith with it? Or will you dig in your heels and say, no, um, I'm, I'm okay with my unbelief. I'll take my chances or whatever. Well, um, it won't turn out well for you, my friend. Um, you know, the reason that you're hearing this right now is because God wants you to be saved. You know, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why he's getting this message to you today. So if there's any doubt in your mind, whether you're saved, forgiven, justified, born again, redeemed, if there's any doubt in your mind whether Jesus Christ is living in you through faith, just call on him today. Say, wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. Trust that what he did on the cross was for your salvation. And then Hassan said a moment ago, 
um, you'll be granted the free gift of eternal life. And that will happen on the front end of your relationship with God. What I mean by that is you'll become an inheritor of eternal life. God doesn't dangle it out there like a carrot on a stick and say, well, now let, let's see how well you do in your Christian life. We'll see if you're worthy to come to heaven. No, Jesus will say to you on the front end what he told that thief on the cross who was being crucified next to Jesus. You know, one of them believed in the Lord and the other didn't. And those two thieves next to the Lord on each side, that represents the world. You, you've got some people in the world who say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, they say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe that you are the resurrection of the life. And then you got others that say, oh, you know, um, that's not for me, or I don't want that, or I don't believe that. So what about you, my friend? And, and today, Jesus will come in through door, door number two. But like Sean said a minute ago, um, he's not going to force his way in. If you don't want Jesus in your life, um, then that's your choice. You know, if you don't want Christ to forgive your sin, then that's your decision. If you don't want to be saved from your sin and from death and from hell, then that's on you. But if you want to receive God's free gift and his pardon for your sins, then now is the time. As we're just, you know, coming up on Easter, now is the time to do business with God. He's already done all the work on the cross. Um, and the reason it's so easy to obtain salvation is because it costs God so much. He's willing to come into the door. He said, here am I. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Will you open the door today, my friend? Just, just do business with Jesus. Just invite him in. Um, ask him to forgive your sins. And you will be given the free gift of eternal life. And then you're going to start to have sanctified reason, uh, meaning you're going to start to understand things you didn't understand before. I mean, you're, there's going to be a lot you're not going to understand. I mean, you know, Son and I have both been studying this for many, many years. There's a lot we don't understand uh, about the Bible and about the things of God, but there's a lot we do understand. And the same will be true for you. Um, and then when we get to heaven, you know, then we're going to understand fully. You know, the Bible says, now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. So it's almost like God's just going to, you know, download this, you know, something in, into our, into the hardware of our, of our new resurrected body. And um, it's not going to be artificial intelligence. It's going to be real, heavenly, authentic intelligence. You know, people are trying to, you know, create something and they want to, they want to create, you know, uh, immortality. They want to, you know, come up with um, artificial intelligence and robots and, and, and things. But you know what? They, they want to transfer their own personality into some robot or they want a loved one who's about to die to transfer that into a robot so they can communicate. I mean, all of this stuff, man's going, trying to jump through all these hoops, none of which will work because here's the deal. You cannot transfer your soul into a machine. Let me say that again. You cannot transfer your soul into a machine. Your soul is inside your body right now. And the moment you die, what's going to happen, just like with these near-death experiences, uh, they, it happened to them temporarily. Their soul left their body. And that's why they were looking down at the operating table. That's why they were on top of the hospital. That's why some of them were starting to travel down a road or a path. And they were seeing things. But then they were brought back into their body. But that's going to happen to you. And that's going to happen to me. And there'll come a time in your life and in my life when our soul will leave our body. And it won't be a near-death experience. We'll be gone. Um, and there are only two places for the soul to go when it leaves the body. There's heaven and there's hell. How do I know that? Because God told me so in his word. And he's told that to millions of people. 
who, who have gone to the Lord's word and said, Lord, um, what do you say about consciousness beyond the grave? What do you say about eternity? And, and God will show it to you, you know, um, but it's not going to be your human intelligence that's going to grasp it. And that's why I say with like Jordan Peterson, as brilliant as he is as a, you know, psychologist, um, he, he just honestly said that he doesn't know whether there's consciousness, uh, uh, beyond the body when the body dies. He doesn't know. And none of us would know that. I wouldn't know that. I would have no clue unless God had shown me that through his word. And there have been many, many millions of, of men and women and young people he has shown that too before I was even on earth, you know? So God's been doing this a long time. Um, no book has lasted like the Bible because that's God's word. He made sure that, that it would be here for us. His, his love letter it really comprised of 66 books or 66 letters, if you will, in one book. And, and that's Holy Scripture. So if you want sanctified reason, if you want to learn about consciousness beyond the grave, you're going to need to go to the Bible. You need to fill your mind with the Bible. And then once you're born again, saved, justified, redeemed, and forgiven, you're going to start to hunger for the Word of God. And that's something, too. That's one of the marks that you're saved. Um, you want God's word. You don't despise it. You don't um, look down on it. I mean, when you're an unbeliever, oh, you got all sorts of reasons. Oh, well, it's written by man or, you know, they, they've rewritten it and this and that. And then, you know, you get saved. You're like, wow, I can really trust the word of God. Uh, all scripture is God breathed. And all of a sudden you start to put your faith in it like never before. And then your faith starts to grow and take off. And it's a great way to live. Um, but the choice is yours and the choice is mine. You know, you know, Dan, you mentioned, you know, some people like Hitler and others that died for a lie. The difference between those people, too, and the disciples or the apostles in this case was that they were lying for self-gain. You know, the, uh, you know Hitler and all those other people, you know, it was, it was self-gain. Mm-hmm. They did it for themselves because they tried to build themselves up. They tried to do something for themselves to gain. The, the apostles, they had nothing to gain. I mean, it wasn't like they were right. doing anything f- to promote themselves. You know, um, they weren't living lavish lifestyles. They were out, you know, traveling about spreading the gospel. So they were spreading the message yes. that benefits yes. other people. It benefits you, benefits me. Yes. You, know, ex- you know, we yes. saw Jesus, ra- uh, you know, raised from the dead. And mm-hmm. if you accept him, you can have eternal life. So they were out promoting something that wasn't that wasn't for them, if that makes sense. You know, they weren't they weren't promoting yeah. something that was for self gain. Although you know, there's self gain in heaven, but you know, it wasn't this material yeah. thing. And so, when you look at it from that perspective as well, you start to see that it's a difference than what some of these other people might have been. Because that's right. You know, because when you think about some of these people. You know, an argument could be, well, the disciples or the apostles, they were probably, you know, not right in the head like some of these ministers, you know, or maybe they were thinking it was truth, but it was actually a lie. And so as you start to kind of debunk that thought, you start thinking, okay, you know, these people that like Hitler and others that were dying for a lie, their lie was to try to get self gain. They were trying to improve themselves or, you know, they Good were point. obsessed with themselves or they were, you know, uh, empowered by themselves. You know, they thought they were God or they thought they were the supreme being or whatever. It was all about self, self, self. Yeah. The apostles were yeah. out there and they were going out spreading the gospel, not to please themselves or to up themselves. 
You know, yeah. because imagine if someone came to them and said, okay, you know what? We're going to throw you in prison if you uh, yeah. continue to talk this way. Well, yeah. chances are if they had some self to gain, they would have stopped, waited, gone someplace else. But they continued. They continued to right, pr- right. promote the resurrection. They continued to promote, you know, Jesus, salvation, repentance of sins, you know, the gospel message. And so there was no self involved for them. Their self was actually giving of themselves because they yeah. were tortured, beaten, uh, ultimately right. you know, imprisoned and put to death. So when people think about that, you got to think about perspective. Twelve people over 40 years ultimately dying for a message. Yes. And it's like, would they have done that for a lie? Well, no. Exactly. Be- because there was nothing for them to gain for that lie. They weren't benefiting from the lie right. that, that other people would benefit. You know, if I'm a... If I'm uh, a Ponzi scheme guy and I end up in prison, yeah, um, and I've, yeah. I've lied to everybody, you know, but I made money off yeah. it, like a Bernie Madoff or somebody like that. I I benefited. Yes. You know, these apostles they didn't benefit from anything. Their benefit came right. after they yeah. died, and that's all they were telling other people to do is this isn't about us. This is about you. We're here to give you a yes. message that will benefit you. All you have to yeah. do is believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, saved you from your sins. That's right. You believe on this, realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's knocking on the door, waiting for you to open. All you have to do is believe. And that puts a whole new perspective on things. And it, and it further, when you look at it through that perspective, it further mm-hmm. kind of puts a cramp on people trying to disprove the apostles and their story because yes. there was no self-gain yeah. involved. You know, that is such a good point, Son. And... You know, I, I think right in connection with what you just shared, I think about like these false prophets today who are known as the prosperity preachers who are out for, you know, for their own mansions and private jets, and they lie to people. They don't, they don't even know they're lying, but, but, but they're telling, a, you know, what God calls a lie. They're, they're lying when they say that, that God wants you to be rich and God will give you what he's given me. And rather than teaching people about the true riches, I mean, I'm not saying God never blesses a person financially or, or, but you know, in the old Testament, sure. And they love to talk about that. You know, Abraham and others had all this wealth, but we move into the new Testament and God has now given us his son. You know what the Bible has to say about worldly wealth and about riches and the danger of that and the love of money being a root of all kinds of evil. And that, and that you have the gall, you have the greed of these false prophets to, to, to stand up there and brag about, well, you know, I've got, you know, multiple private jets. So I've got this, you know, multi-million dollar jet in this home. And if you have enough faith, you can have what I have. Um, they are self-deceived, but they're just the opposite of what the apostles, because they're today, these prosperity preachers, they're all preaching a message to line their own pockets. And they're preaching a false message. Um, they tell people it's biblical and they prey on a person's, you know, man's natural, uh, selfish, um, desire to uh, to have worldly wealth and accumulations. Now, here the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. You know, um, Jesus and the apostles lived a very humble life. Um, you know, some of the, the greatest Christians in history have had very little of the world's wealth. And yet these false prosperity prophets today um, who, who, who are just greedy. And the Bible warns about, you know, those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And that's what these prosperity false prophets are preaching. But, but as you said, son, the, 
um, the apostles who went out and spread the message, the disciples who saw the risen Lord, what did they have to gain? Um, suffering, torture, death. You know, they were doing it because they knew it was true. God had called them to preach the gospel. God had called them to spread true riches to people, which is eternal life in heaven. And, and these false prosperity prophets today are going to have a lot to answer for when they stand before God, because they remind me of, of the rich man in Luke 16 who lived in luxury. And, and, and he went to hell. And you had Lazarus, um, the beggar, who was in heaven. And he didn't go to heaven because he was poor. But he went to heaven because he was poor in spirit. And he knew that he needed the Lord. And, and so the Bible really has huge warnings against those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And boy, those uh, those first apostles, or I should say, the first disciples of Christ, and 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 the apostles of the Lord, who who um, who walked with Him, and and who He uh, who He appointed to serve in that way, um, they truly were, were were carrying out the Lord's work. And think about Peter, for example, son, who in his own natural strength, you know, he denied the Lord three times. In his own natural strength, he he failed the Lord many times, as we all do. But then when the Holy Spirit fell upon them on Pentecost, I mean, the boldness with which Peter preached that, that sermon on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and 3,000 were converted. Um, and then God worked all those miracles through Peter and the other apostles. Um, God's power was resting on them. They were not like these false prosperity prophets today. They were not out, you know, preaching a false message of materialism so that they could line their pockets but rather they were preaching the true gospel. And what did they gain for it? Suffering, torture, you know, many of them death, but they knew that Jesus is alive. And when you have Christ living in your heart and you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you are not trying to stir up a person's fleshly desires for worldly wealth, the way these false prosperity prophets do that. They know um, how to trigger uh, a person's selfish desire. And, and, they, and they do it all with this, you know, biblical language of God wants this for you, and you can have, you can have all this right now, and you can be rich right now. And rather than preaching sin and grace, rather than preaching hell and heaven, rather than preaching repentance and faith, rather than preaching the truth about the gospel and man's real need for Christ, they, they, they cater to the selfishness in all of us and the materialistic greed in all of us. And it's just so sad to see people being duped by that and being led down that path where they begin to lust after the same material things that these, that these false prophets claim. Well, this is evidence that God is blessing me in my ministry because otherwise I wouldn't have this mansion. You know, I wouldn't have this private jet. And, and, I, and I always think, Simon, well, then why don't you have enough faith to give those things to the poor and, and, and preach the true gospel? But no, um, they're more interested in, in, in gaining millions of dollars for themselves. And, you know, Kenneth Copeland's net worth is, I mean, I've seen I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, his net worth. And how many people has he enticed to chase after worldly wealth rather than pointing them to the biblical message of, of 
you know, self-denial of, of, of leading people to Christ and not to, um, not to material prosperity. It's just, uh, you know, it really is sickening, um, you know, to see what these, what these false, what these false teachers are saying, how they're, how they're enticing people with, I mean, Satan could hardly be, you know, doing it any differently or better himself. One of the other things I wanted to... Well, and, and Jesus' son was giving people, as you and I know, he was giving people true riches, eternal right. riches, and, 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 and if Kenneth Copeland understood where true riches are found, um, he would love that message rather than the message he preaches, which is one that the Bible warns against and warns, you know, certainly Christians from being seduced by that kind of a message. You know, Dan, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick, which I like to do around Easter time is, you know, for the, the for people in general, society, the world in general, regardless of religious faith, Christmas and Easter tend to be the two things that most people celebrate. You know, not everybody might celebrate the December 25th Christmas. I know some places in Europe, it's in January. I know some Orthodox uh, religions have different time frames when they celebrate the Easter and the Christmas and stuff. But universally, Christmas and Easter are celebrated by a lot of the uh, world's religions that accept, you know, a view of Jesus. Obviously, if you don't accept a view of Jesus, maybe like the Muslim faith, you're not going to be celebrating these things. But um, but it's, it's synonymous with the two that Christmas... And Easter connected, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And I read something one time, and it was fascinating to, uh, to read, and it's always stuck with me. But when we think about Christmas, you know, oftentimes in a linear thought process, we think Christmas comes first because that's Jesus' birth. And at the time of Christmas, we think about presents and stuff like that that we give under the Christmas tree, and we wake up on Christmas morning or maybe Christmas Eve or whatever you might have, and you sit there and you open the presents that are under the tree. But then you go to Easter, and that's when you have the death, the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And you know when you think about it, the Christmas tree and the gifts underneath it, the cross really becomes the first Christmas tree, if you think about it, because the gift that was laid at the foot of the cross was the gift of eternal life for all people that believe. And so yeah. when Jesus died on the cross, we look at the cross, but it's also not only just a signal of death, it's a signal of life. It's, a, it's like, a, like I said, the correlation between a Christmas tree and the cross being the first Christmas tree, so to speak. I, I like that uh, comparison because the ultimate gift that was given was also paid for, you know, we think of the expense of Christmas, was also paid for with the ultimate price. Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life as long as we believe in him. And I think that that's something that, you know, I like to think about during the Easter season is that correlation between Christmas, the birth, because it is, it's new life. You have a new birth with Jesus in the manger or at Christmas time, we talk about Jesus's birth. But then at the crucifixion, even though we focus on his death, we are seeing new birth. We're seeing new birth in the resurrection. We're seeing new birth in the gift of eternal life. We're seeing the new birth in the thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's like new beginnings mm -hmm. starting all over again. Yes. And so the correlation yes. between the two, I don't think it's, it's coincidence that the world celebrates yes. these two things, yeah. regardless of anything else, yes. because the correlation between them are so strong and so prevalent, mm -hmm. and it goes from beginning to not an end, but to a new beginning, then to new beginning, yeah. which kind of is the three portals. Jesus entered this world through a virgin right. birth. Jesus, right. you know, um, 
I don't want to say entered into death, but, you know, entered into death as a portal to right. combat or to, to defeat Satan. And then he, yeah. you know, resurrected. So, again, when you look at those, the portal perspective that we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's also that that kind of leads up to it. And so it's just uh, interesting to me when you see Christmas and Easter interchange that not only do I yeah. see the cross as a, um, a means of death, yeah. but it's also yeah. a means of, like, celebration because there is that gift at the foot of the cross waiting there, the ultimate present that we get when, right. we, when we accept Jesus and then when we die on the cross yeah. and then when we die, we can open that present that is at yes. the, you know, it's, it's there waiting for us. We have it, like you said, once we're saved, we get that gift, but we don't yes. open yes. it until we die and move on into heaven for eternity. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, Son, because, you know, if a person merely experiences Christmas and Easter on a sentimental level, you know, maybe maybe someone has, you know, as, as many do. I mean, I certainly do. I'm sure you do, too. I mean, many people have had some wonderful childhood experiences uh, around these days um, and and just wonderful experiences. Uh, but, but, but if a person merely um, celebrates these uh, in a sentimental way because it feels good to do that for a day or whatever, you might end up missing out on the real meaning of the celebration and, and what it really involves to, like at Christmas, open up the gift under the tree. What does that involve? Well, it involves the same thing that is needed for Christ to enter through the door of your soul in the second resurrection portal. Um, it, it, it takes faith. Um, it, it takes a receiving of Christ. You know, in John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But then he asked that all-important question to Martha. He said, Do you believe this? And that's the question, Son, that I want to pose to every listener today. And that's, I really believe, the point of, of just why you brought this up right now. I mean, to, to, to have us look at that connection. Um, but I want to pose that question to every listener. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? That he, that he came out of the tomb? That, that that first portal, as the stone was rolled away, um, was... Was, a, was an event in history where the Son of God, who had been crucified, who had suffered the most agonizing death in the most cruel type of punishment that's probably ever been devised, he suffered the agony of being flogged and then crucified. That, that this same Savior then, on the third day, rose from the grave. Um, do you believe that it's a historical event? But then do you believe in Jesus as your Savior that his death was for your sins and that through believing in him, you're given now this free gift of everlasting life? It, it's that simple. Um, you, you don't have to, you know, complicate it. It's not complicated. And this is why a child um, can believe it. You know, I know sign like with our four kids. You know, one of the greatest joys that Tammy and I had as parents, uh, and, and, you know, those first five years are just incredible with your kids, you know, and 
they always talk about how important those years are. And, you know, I, I've shared before how, you know, from the day our kids were born, I would lay my hand on their head and pray the, uh, their erotic blessing, uh, Aaron's blessing from the Old Testament. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord make his confidence upon you and give you his peace. So that was an important part of, of just um, how we would, you know, lead our children into the arms of Jesus. But we would talk to our kids at a very young age about what Jesus did for them. And I'll tell you, son, we would ask our kids, I mean, certainly by the time they were three, if not younger, it's like, well, you know, and, and just in a very, you know, uh, a very uh, simple way and a very informal way. Hey, you know, maybe I'd say, Hannah, you know, what did Jesus do for you? And say, so say, well, you know, he, he, he died on the cross for my sins. Now, did they have as, as full of an understanding of that as they would have, you know, a few years later? Or as they have today, well, no. But they had a childlike faith. Um, they had a childlike faith. They knew that Jesus was their Savior, their friend, um, because they had been taught that by their parents who loved them. And, and it's amazing, Saul, um, how many little ones will receive Jesus, will trust Jesus. Um, all it takes is the faith of a child. In fact, Jesus said, unless you, know, unless you have the faith of a child, um, you'll never enter uh, the, the kingdom of heaven, unless you come like these little children. So children can believe. And it's very important that we as parents share this good news with our kids. And um, it's very important that if a person has not been given that message by um, one or both of their parents as they were growing up, um, you know, we, we, we want to reach them with this message. You know, I'm thinking about um, someone that my wife gave one of these uh, life books to, the Gospel of Mark here in the last week or so. We've been giving some of those out here before Easter. Also, a little gospel tract in there about heaven's gate. You know, what what would you say to God if you're standing at heaven's gate? Well, anyway, um, there's a co-worker of hers, a, uh, uh, a teenager. I believe he's 17. And, um, you know, I won't go into the whole discussion that they had, but but it was very clear that, you know, his background um, was obviously very different than, like, my, my, my wife grew up in a Christian home, as I did. Um, you know, she learned about the Lord at a young age, as I did. As, as our kids, our four kids did. But this young man, like millions of others, I mean, he, that just was not his background. So, it, it, you know, it's all new to him. I mean, you know, there are so many people like that as teenagers or young adults or older adults or maybe senior citizens. They have no clue uh, about what you just referred to, son, Christmas and Easter. Oh, maybe they've gone to church at those times. But they really haven't come to terms with these three resurrection portals. They really haven't understood what, what, this, what this gift under the Christmas tree of the cross is all about and, and how when you embrace Jesus, when you receive him, when you trust him as your savior, when you rely upon him and not your religious deeds, you know, um, you know that, that's how you believe. I, you know, one of, my, one of my relatives here I, I recently was corresponding with through email, and I asked this relative the question, uh, you know, if, if, if God were to ask you, why shall I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? And my relative's answer was essentially, you know, I, you know, I try to, you know, be a moral person and, you know, I'm far from perfect, but, but essentially, you know, I try to be kind to others. Now, now, now son, um, that, that is a message that millions of people would give or something like it. But I shared with my relative what my answer would be. 
And, and I shared how my answer would be something like, you know, Lord, uh, I don't deserve to get into heaven. I'm a sinner. And your word says in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And Lord, I'm guilty. But I believe, Father, that you sent your only son in my place to die for my sins on the cross. And I'm trusting in Christ alone as my Savior from sin. The Holy Spirit will convert your soul. Jesus will come in through the door when you trust in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. As it says in John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Will you do that today? Will you trust in Christ? As Jesus said to Martha, I ask you now today, do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is your Savior? Just simply embrace him with childlike faith. Maybe you weren't told that message when you were three years old by your parents. Many, many Young people are not given that message because their parents don't know it. Nobody's told them. Their parents didn't tell them. And, and from one generation to the next, just unbelief is passed on from one to the next. And that's man's default position, unbelief. You know, you're, you're not born with belief in your heart. Oh, I mean, you, you have a general sense that there's a God and, and you have eternity written in your heart. But as far as understanding Jesus as being your Savior, you're going to need to hear that message because the Bible says faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the Word of Christ. So when you combine faith to that message, you get converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe the good news was Jesus' first sermon in Mark 1.15. So turn away from sin. You know, say, Lord, I give you my life. I want to live for you, Lord. Forgive me, forgive me my sin. And, and, and I, as I've said before, just simply, simply pray this. Wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. And think about what you're saying. I mean, this isn't magic. God doesn't operate in magic. He's much higher than that. Magic is what dark angels operate in. God operates in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is far greater. But your soul will be converted. Just pray in faith. Wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. And believe that his blood was shed for you, and you will be saved. Does that make any sense to you? If so, the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. If it's not, um, hang in there. Keep thinking and praying on this. Don't turn away from it. Don't reject it just because you don't get it yet. Um, I mean, if Jesus has not yet come in through the door of your heart, you don't want to leave him outside that door. Because when you stand before him on Judgment Day, and we all will, um, you want to be standing there with your friend and your Savior, not someone that you refused to let into your heart. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, if, if, if you're ashamed of me and my words, you know, I'll be ashamed of you. Um, you know, when, when, when you stand before me one day, so you don't want that. You don't want Jesus to be ashamed of you. And you certainly don't have to be ashamed of him. Um, take him as your savior, receive him. He loves you. He will forgive you. Um, whatever sin you've committed, he will forgive you. But you need to bring your sin to God and you need to let go of this, this, this reliance upon your morality or your religion to save your soul. It won't do it. That's a deception of the devil. Your morality will not save your soul because you're imperfect just like all of us. Dan Dozell with us as we talk about Easter and the resurrection and what it means to all of us. And, uh, Dan, we thank you so much for your time and appreciate your thoughts and comments on this. And we look forward to uh, many more conversations as uh, God allows. And if you'd like to uh, listen to uh, other episodes, 
You can always go to RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. Just click on the Sanctified Reason icon, and all of our uh, past episodes will pop up. Again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.